here. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to finish our sermon series there. If you've got a pre-K or kindergarten children, they can go back to their class at this time. If you want them to stay here, that's fine as well. They've got some handouts and coloring sheets back in the lobby. Uh, no kids club this week. We'll have kids club for uh, first through 12th grade next week. Um, if you want to get to know us, I'd encourage you to fill out that welcome sheet and scan that QR code and give us your information so we can follow up with you. Uh, we have been in a series called The Harvest from Matthew chapter 10, where we're talking about this idea that God is using us to participate in his harvest of souls. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray that God would raise up laborers for the harvest. And so we've been considering what does it look like for us to be on mission with Jesus to participate with him in his ministry. And so far, we've seen him give his disciples travel instructions, trouble instructions, and trust instructions. And this morning, we're going to look at the reward instructions that he gives for those who join him in his mission. So our scripture reader this morning is Bethany Ecton, campus staff at RUF Tulsa. She is going to come up and read uh, Matthew 10, 39 through 11, 1 for us. Um, scripture reading this morning is what Shane said, Matthew 10, 39 through 11, 1. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if, everyone, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And uh, we have a, an exciting but sad announcement this morning. Bethany is going to be stepping down from her position at campus staff. Aw, that's sad. But happy, she's pursuing a counseling degree at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. So we're actually sending her out to get more training so she can continue to do the ministry that God has called her to do. So we're going to pray for her this morning uh, before we go into our word scripture. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for her, Bethany, for her life and her ministry here at TU and through RUF. God, we pray that you would uh, fill her with your spirit even more as she goes to covenant to pursue a counseling degree. We pray, God, that you would send her to share your good news with the nations in word and deed. We thank you for her ministry here, God. We pray that you continue to bring more and more fruit through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. The rewards for missions, uh, what I want you to see this morning from this passage is that the reward is worth the work. The reward is worth the work. Uh, and as I was studying this, it made me think about a time when the reward was not worth the work. Before I was a minister, I was a teacher and a coach. And so as a teacher and a coach, I had uh, summers, summers off which meant uh, that's when I took up side jobs to make extra money to supplement my income from being a teacher and a coach. And so uh, oftentimes I would just do odd jobs. And one of the odd jobs that I got was in this guy's backyard, he had built an entire play area, a large play area for his children, and he had filled it with pea gravel, like little bitty rocks, 
you know, that you, you have at the playground, which probably seemed like a good idea at the time, but then when his kids grew up and they didn't need it anymore, he really wanted that part of the yard. And so he paid me to come in and remove all the pea gravel, fill it with sand, and then cover it with sod, which didn't seem like such a big job, except for there was more gravel than I thought. It was hotter than I thought because it was in the middle of the summer of Oklahoma, and I was doing most of this by myself. And so as I got about midway through the project, I'm totaling up the number of hours that I've put into it and the amount of sweat that I've given to it, and I'm watching my dollars per hour go down on this job, and I'm realizing that the work was not worth the reward. <laughs> By the end of it, I wasn't, you know, I was probably averaging, you know, like 10 bucks an hour or something like that, uh, which, which is not, which was not good for the amount of labor that I was doing. Uh, it also reminded me of a time whenever uh, Sherry told me that her work was worth the reward. Uh, whenever Sherry was in college, that's my wife, she worked at Red Lobster, which she affectionately calls the Lob. And so there aren't a lot of nice restaurants in Stillwater. So when a celebrity comes to town, where do they go eat? They go eat at the Lob. And so uh, one night, there was a, uh, a famous hip-hop musician that had come to town to sing at one of the local establishments. And he wanted to get a nice restaurant, so he went to the Lob, and they wanted to give, her a good, to give him a good waitress. So they gave him Sherry, and they said, Sherry, do a good job. This is a, you know, a, a hip-hop star. He's probably going to tip you well. And so she did, her, she did her best. She worked really, really hard. She tried to serve him really well. And at the end of the night, she did, in fact, get a gigantic tip from this hip-hop star. The work was worth the reward. So the, let me ask you this. What is your mission in life? What is your purpose? And what is the reward that comes from that mission? Is your reward worth the work? No matter who you are, no matter what you do, right? There's, there's some mission that you're on and there's some reward you're hoping to get at the end of that mission. My kids are younger and they make their money babysitting. And so, so of course, they love playing with the little kids at Bible study and babysitting. But what they also look forward to is the reward of being able to buy Chick-fil-A for lunch. For them, their reward is worth the work. Maybe you're a student, and so you're hoping that by going to class most of the time and doing your homework sometimes, that you will get a job and be able to adult, and the reward will be worth the work. Maybe you're an entrepreneur, and you've got your own business, and you think that this product that you have is, is beneficial to the world, and it makes your clients' lives better, and you're also hoping that it could uh, provide for you and your family and you're hoping that the reward is worth the work. And maybe you're working your, you've been working your entire lives and you're coming up on retirement. And now you're, you're seeing that, that you're counting down the days till the job is ending. And you're looking back on what you've done and you're asking yourself, has the work been worth the reward? Well, in this passage this morning, Jesus is going to give his disciples this reward instructions, right? All through Matthew 10, he's been teaching them, this is how I want you to participate in my mission. I want you to go out and proclaim the gospel in word. And I want you to go out and minister the gospel in deed. And while you're doing that, you're going to face persecution, abandonment, betrayal, slander, rejection, 
and division. But take heart because the work is worth the reward. He tells us here in this passage that whoever loses their life for his sake will find it. So I want you to see this morning that when you lose your life for the mission of Jesus, it is worth many times over the reward of gaining your life in Jesus. The work of giving your life for Jesus is worth the reward of gaining your life in Jesus. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. What is the reward? How do you receive it? And who receives it? Kids, I want you to write down some three ways you can participate in God's mission and then talk to your parents about how to do that together as a family. First, we see what is this reward? Jesus tells us in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He rewards his workers with life. What is this life? Well, if you look at the Greek word here for life, it is the same word that we use for psyche. Psyche. It's not zoe, it's psyche. It it is the word for the immaterial part of yourself, the inner self, the soul. It's also used at times for the material Uh, goods in this world that we want and need. And so this psyche is a combination of both our internal self and our external world. And what Jesus is saying is that if you will lose your life for him, then you will gain this internal self that will actually match and align with this external world that you're living in. You gain an internal self and an outer self. It's immaterial and it's material. And and this is incredibly important for us because this is one of the things that we are seeking every day through our work. Every day through our work, uh, we are seeking um, what psychologists call self-actualization. And we don't call it that. We say words like, I want to be my authentic self. I want to be my true self. Right? We might even call it our identity. But what we're looking for is, how does this inner self that I have match my outer world that is going on around me? And we see this everywhere from sitcoms to social media to pop psychology, even to our religiosity. There's this deep longing inside of us to find out who we truly are. And the reason we have that deep longing is because we were created to find our true self in a relationship with God. We We were created to find our identity in him. And whenever sin entered this world, it broke us. And part of how it broke us is we decided that we were going to find ourself apart from God. And when we find ourselves apart from God, we actually lost ourselves. And we're desperately seeking a way to find ourselves again. I love how St. Augustine says it. He says, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and we are restless until we find our rest in you. There's a restlessness about us because we've lost ourselves in our relationship with God. It's the thing that drives our discontentment and our dishappiness with his life. Uh, Chrysostom was a preacher in 399 
And he says this about our search. And I think it's, it's so relevant even for today. He says, thus, why are you loath to condemn your life? Because you love it. For that very reason, condemn it, and you will do it the highest service. Why are we so dissatisfied with our lives? Because we're trying to make our lives do something that it was never meant to do. It was never meant to fulfill us, to satisfy us, to give us our true self, our true identity. And so what Jesus did is when he, through his life, death, and resurrection, he died to pay the penalty for us finding ourselves apart from God. He paid that penalty so that by grace through faith in him, we can actually be reunited to our true self in God. It's in his life and death and resurrection that we find our true psyche. We find our true self. We find our authentic self. It's not in the world and in our, in our pop psychology and our materialism or any of those things. It's found in Jesus. I love the way one commentator said, he said, the way of the world, well illustrated in the incessant quest for self-actualization in contemporary pop psychology, leads only to a shallow and temporary fulfillment. The seeking of life at this level has left many in frustration and disappointment. On the other hand, and strangely, those who give up this useless quest, who instead yield themselves fully to the service of God and the kingdom who willingly follow in the steps of Jesus, those are the ones who paradoxically find life. The true self that you're looking for, the authentic self that you're looking for, is found not in an endless quest of creating it through social media or building it through your work or seeking it through the next self-help book. It is found through the practices and teachings of Jesus and giving yourself to his mission. In that, you find life and you bring life to others, right? There's this spiral of life and love that you get wrapped up into. You give yourself to Jesus and you give yourself for others. And, and then you experience joy and they experience joy as well. You experience life and they experience life. Uh, I, I, it, whenever I was a coach, it looked like this. Uh, there, there was one year I remember in particular that we were we were bad. I was a JV baseball coach. My job was to, to, to develop players. You know, we, we didn't have the best players, right? We had to develop them. We were really bad. And, and in one of the off seasons that I remember, it was really cold outside. And one day we were working on turning double plays in the parking lot of Union High School with snow on the ground. And I'm asking myself, I'm out there, I'm like, what, what am I, why am I doing this? Like, why, why am I rolling ground balls for double plays in the snow in the parking lot of the high school? Is this work worth the reward? And then we got into the season, and there was a play in the game where there was a double play ball, hits the shortstop, he feels it clean, flips to the second baseman, he pivots, turns, makes the throw to first base, bang, bang, double play out, and this huge smile just went across my face. That is why we were rolling ground balls in the ice in the parking lot of Union High School in the offseason, so that they could experience the joy of turning a double play in the season. I experience life, and they experience life. When you do ministry, you're going to sacrifice a lot. But whenever you're teaching people how to pray, and then you hear them pray, you experience life, and so do they. When you, when you tell people to repent 
for their sins and to seek, uh, um, to seek the healing of repentance and to seek discipleship and mentorship. And then they actually go do it. You're shocked and surprised, but it brings life to you and it brings life to them. When, when you use your wisdom and your experience to mentor somebody else and you see them read God's word and the light bulbs go on, you experience life and they experience life. In that process, you're both finding your true selves. That's the reward of missions. It's life, true life, the true self. Well, how do we receive this reward? Jesus tells us in verse 40, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. I like in the NIV, instead of receives, it says welcomes. It says anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. It's this idea of hospitality. It's this idea of inviting someone in for a meal. And giving them a cup of water, sharing your home with them. Now, Jesus here is strictly speaking to the disciples who would be apostles. He's going to send them out on his mission. He's saying, look, you represent me. You're my emissary. As you go out, when people receive you, when they welcome you, it's as if they're welcoming me. When they welcome your ministry, it's as if they're welcoming my ministry. When they welcome your message, it's as if they're welcoming my message. And in this sermon, he actually earlier, uh, he warned people for rejecting them. He said, look, you may go into someone's house, and if they don't welcome you, then shake the dust off your feet and go someplace else. But now he's offering a reward for those who do welcome them. He's saying, when they welcome you, they welcome me. And they welcome the one who sent me. Who sent Jesus? The Father. So by welcoming the apostles, they welcome Jesus. And by welcoming Jesus, they welcome the Father into their home. And that kind of remind you of uh, in John 15, where Jesus promises that for his disciples, that they will abide in him and the Father will abide with them. This idea of abiding or aboding with each other. So how do we receive this reward? We receive it when we welcome the message of the apostles that's recorded in the New Testament. The apostles are, newsflash, they're not alive anymore. We can't, we can't welcome them into our home, but we can't welcome them with the word. The New Testament it, it was, is and was believed to be the recording of the teachings of the apostles that was handed down from Jesus, divinely inspired word of God. So when you read the New Testament, you're reading the words of the apostles, and you're welcoming the apostles into your home. You can also welcome, receive Jesus and welcome him through the ministry of the church. The, to the church has been handed down the word and the sacraments and this worship that we're enjoying now. And so when you welcome the word of God and you welcome his church and you welcome the sacraments into your home and into your heart, then you're welcoming Jesus and you're welcoming the Father. There's a great picture of this in Acts 16. In Acts 16, it tells a story of Paul and his associates going on a missionary trip. And as they're going on a missionary trip, it's actually a pretty funny story. There's a a girl who's possessed by a demon, and she will not leave Paul and his companions alone. And the text says that they were so annoyed with her that they cast out the demons in her. 
and then she gets converted. Well, this gets Paul in trouble, so they throw him in prison. And while they're in prison, do they shut up? No, they're singing hymns and songs, and they're worshiping in prison. Well, then in the middle of the night, there's an earthquake, and the earthquake opens up the, the jail cells, the chains fall off of the men, so they can go free. Well, the jailer is scared to death that they're all going to go free, and if they go free, then he's going to die, so he gets his sword ready to kill himself, and Paul says, wait, 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 don't, don't kill yourself. We're not going to leave. We're just going to stay here, which is crazy if you think about it. Paul's saying, I, he's, my life for yours. I'll stay in the prison so you can live. And the guy says, okay, tell me, tell me about this, this Lord, this Savior that you guys have been singing about. And, and Paul shares the gospel with them. And the, the jailer repents and he is baptized and his entire household is baptized. That's a whole other story. But then what does he do after the baptism? He invites Paul and his friends over for a meal. He welcomes them into his home. You see the parallels, though, there? He, the, the jailer welcomed, welcomed the word of the apostles. He welcomed Jesus into his life, and then he welcomed them into his home for a meal. We receive these rewards by welcoming the ministry of Jesus into our life, into our church, into our home. And as Mike said, there's four ways that you can do that. You can be a goer. You can go on mission for Jesus in, in vocational ministry. You could, we could all be goers wherever we are, right? As laymen, you could also be in vocational ministry. You can be a sender. That's where you use your financial goods to send people out into vocational ministry. You can be a welcomer. That means you can help missionaries with their mental, physical, spiritual needs. And you can be a mobilizer, organizing teams of people to go and send and welcome. And it's in the, the, the mix of all those things that you receive this reward of life, that, that, that participating in this work which will require sacrifice, which will require suffering, which will be challenging and frustrating at times. But it is in that process that you will find life and that other people will find life. God will use it to open the hearts and minds of people and free them from the chains of sin that hold them captive. We receive it. We receive this reward of life by welcoming Jesus and his ministry into our lives and into our church. So what do we receive? We receive life. How do we receive it? We receive it by welcoming. And then who receives this reward? Jesus tells us in verses 41 and 42, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So what is Jesus doing here by going like prophet, righteous, little one? It's almost a sort of taxonomy of missionaries. And what he's showing in this taxonomy of missionaries is that anyone can receive this reward. For, for any contribution to his mission, no matter how small, right? You start with a prophet, an officer, a minister, a vocational missionary, right? And they get this reward of life. And he's saying, if you welcome Jesus, you can have that reward. You're probably thinking, okay, yeah, sure, a prophet, 
yeah, of course they're going to get the reward, right? Like they're the professional Christians. They're going to be closest to Jesus. They're going to get the most crowns in heaven, all those things that we don't really know what we're talking about, right? Of course they're going to get it. And then Jesus moves down the list and he goes to the righteous people, right? He says, okay, so like, it's like someone who's in a right relationship with God, of course they're going to get it, right? They're, they're experiencing life here on earth. You can see this joy, this love, this happiness in their lives. Of course they're going to experience this life. But then he moves it a step down lower. So you're, maybe at this point you're thinking, what about me? <laughs> I'm not, maybe I'm, I'm not a vocational minister Maybe I don't even feel righteous, even though I am. What about me? He moves it down a step lower, and he says, look, anyone, anyone who gives one of these little ones, which is not just younger, it means vulnerable, insecure, unsafe. Anyone who looks at one of God's disciples and says they're, they're vulnerable, they're unsafe, I want to care for them by giving them something so small as a cup of water, even you, even if that's all you have, the most basic sign of hospitality, a cup of water. If you do that, you will receive this reward of life. Even the smallest things. Uh, Mike, Mike said I was uh, associated with RUF at OSU. I was the campus minister there for six and a half years. And while I was the campus minister there, uh, this church partnered with me. And one year, they created these, uh, they, they gave us Christmas presents. There's no other way around it. The whole, the, the, a community group of people adopted us as their missionaries and they gave us a, like baskets full of Christmas presents. And they showed up and my kids opened all those presents and I kid you not, they will still say that was one of the best Christmases they ever had. I got a whole boatload of Puma socks that I still wear to this day. And I often, every time I see one of those Puma socks, I think about that community group. Something as simple as a sock was a blessing to me and my family while we were on mission. If all you can give is, is handing out bulletins, is, is uh, writing a note to a missionary, is praying for a missionary, is sending a missionary a pair of socks for Christmas, because they probably need them. That is how you participate in the mission of Jesus and you experience the reward of life that he offers God is calling us to participate in his mission, and it doesn't matter how small you are and how small your gift is, he will reward it. He will reward it. And so I'm calling us as a church to participate in that mission, to continue to worship faithfully, to serve faithfully, to give faithfully, so that we can continue to, to see these missionaries funded and supported and so we can continue to see more and more people come to Jesus through our church. I want us to be, dare I say it, like the 12th man at Texas A&M. You know Jesus is real if I'm quoting, you know, if I'm propping up Texas A&M. But anyways, so here's the story behind the 12th man at Texas A&M. You know, 100 years ago, they're playing football at Texas A&M, and they're playing the, uh, the number one ranked team in the country and they were, uh, they were getting hammered, and they were losing players left and right, and they were running out of players. So literally, the coach went to the stands and grabbed a student and said, hey, go to the locker room, put on a uniform, come out and play. And so that's what the guy did, right? And he became the 12th man. 
And so that became a tradition at the University of Texas A&M that during their football games, all the student section stands for the entire game to symbolize that they are the 12th man and they are ready to participate in that game. When we gather as the church, we are the 12th man. We are ready to participate in the mission of Jesus. He is the one who won the game. He is the one who fights the battle. He is the one who is victorious, and he enlists us to participate with him in his mission. And that work is worth the reward that he offers us. Now, I want to close with this. Um, We have a couple of young ladies that we're going to be baptizing this morning who are joining our church, that God has blessed our ministry to them. And, And this week I met with one of them. I met with Allie. And uh, she shared her testimony, and I thought this would be the perfect way to end the sermon. So I'm going to let Allie come up and share her testimony. And this is how the Lord has worked in her life and used us as a part of that to bring her to faith to where we are today. So, Allie, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. My name is Allie Hubbard, and I was born and raised here in Tulsa. From 1st to 12th grade, I attended Metro Christian Academy, a private Christian school, where I first encountered the Lord and actively pursued a relationship with him. I never grew up going to church consistently, so chapel at school sustained me for the time being, but I knew I would eventually need and want more. While I'm super grateful for that time and place, I was stuck trying to work for the Father's love and acceptance. This path of perfectionism led me time and time again to failure, shame, and what felt like weakness. While some might say this part of the story is sad, I confidently say it's beautiful. I will never have to compete, bargain, put on a mask, or earn God's love, even amidst the gravity of my sin. My failures, weaknesses, and hardships do not make him run away, but rather the exact spot he has claimed victory and shown redemption. Because of the blood shed on the cross, I can stand here today covered in his grace and live in freedom knowing that I will never be able to save myself through, the good, through my good works. Instead, I get to accept a gift of salvation and mercy from a Savior that fully knows me and truly loves me. God has put so many people in my life, like Caleb, Bethany, a pretty cool roommate, the sweetest small group girls, everyone within RUF, and those here at Grace and Peace and at Trinity who have supported me in this active journey of faith and have spoken so much wisdom over me these past two years in college, which I'm endlessly and forever grateful for. Thank you, Allie. Thank you. You can go ahead and sit down. And thank you for participating in that. All the work you've been doing, isn't it worth the reward of hearing that? Amen. Let's pray that God would help us see more and more that his work is worth the reward.